Support for this podcast comes from Kinney Drugs, now celebrating 120 years of providing local communities with medications, advice, and healthcare products and services. Kinney pharmacists administer all CDC-recommended vaccines to those age 18 and older, including influenza, pneumonia, HPV, tetanus, pertussis and diphtheria, measles, mumps and rubella, chickenpox, and hepatitis A and B. Kinney pharmacists will be administering RSV vaccinations to those 60 years of age and older. Kinney Drugs is 100% employee-owned and locally committed since 1903. Learn more at kinneydrugs.com. From VT Digger, this is The Deeper Dig. I'm Sam Gale Rosen. On today's episode, Vermont's oldest synagogue has been sold, and its new owner plans to develop it into a food hall and apartments. We'll talk about the history at play, what's planned for the building, and what happens when a space for spirituality and community becomes something else. The Ahavath Garam Synagogue is in Burlington's Old North End, a relatively small brick building on Archibald Street. It's nearly 140 years old and served as one of the anchor points of Little Jerusalem, a dense, bustling Jewish neighborhood that thrived in the city from about the 1880s to the 1930s. But the congregation that owned the synagogue most recently has been dwindling for years and no longer used it as an active place of worship. Though there is a different congregation that recently did, more on that later. The building itself was also deteriorating. They decided to sell partially because they needed the money to maintain a Jewish cemetery that they own. After years on the market, the building was purchased by Kidder Spader, a Burlington entrepreneur who started a dog gear company and more recently a business that makes travel racks for cars. He showed me and VT Digger staff photographer Glenn Russell around the building, where there was already a lot of active work going on, and he talked about his plans, emphasizing that a lot could still change. There was one concept to turn into an individual, like a single-family house, um, but then the cost just got too high. Um, and so I looked at it from a value point of view, and I was like, well, the value's there, what is it going to be? And that's still even a little bit what stage we're at now. Um, so, but it's looking like we'll do apartments in the basement, at least one two-bedroom apartment, and I'll give you guys a walk-in for it a little bit, and then possibly a commercial kitchen if this gets developed into the food hall concept, which is the leading idea right now, is to do six to eight kind of food vendors and it's food trucks meet Faneuil Hall meet food hall and there are other models in Iceland and uh, Singapore and Morocco where it's kind of more that kind of concept and then up here doing kind of a bar and cafe and the idea would be you know where this hits Archibald North Winooski it's kind of the top of the old north end is to create a little bit more of a community aspect where you know I have two kids you come here and you have, you know, the kids pick pizza, you pick poutine or, you know, a steak or something else, but creating more of an environment where everyone can kind of come together and meet. Um, And then up here doing a bar and with this big ocular window kind of looking out, I think would be pretty cool. And just to, for people who can't see this, we're, we're standing on the balcony in sort of the main hall of the building, which would have been where people worshipped d- down there, right? Yep. And so the breakdown is the originally when this was orthodox is the women would be upstairs. So there was a separation between the women and men. So this was the woman's gallery. And just you mentioned the window. Obviously, one of the first things I noticed out there is that the, the stained glass Star of David 
is gone there. What's happening to that? Uh, so there's a local historian, um, Ron Wanamaker, and so he's rebuilding it. It basically all had rotted out in years of neglect. So yeah, he's remaking the Star of David. We'll downplay the symbolism a little bit, um, but according to the city, this, it still has to remain the Star of David because it's on the National Historic Registry that way. Oh, interesting. So it's a little bit of a issue, not issue, but so you have cultural appropriation, but that's just the way it has to work. So. Yeah, like how much in your imagination of how this is going to turn out in the end, how yeah. much will it look like clearly something that used to be a synagogue and how much won't it? I think it won't look so much like a synagogue, but you'll still have the general sense of the place. Like you'll walk in, you'll see the 22 foot high ceilings, you'll still have the women's gallery, two kind of sets of stairs coming up. So from a structural and kind of overall emotional feel, it will still have that same sort of presence, but not as much from like a synagogue point of view. So I think aesthetically, if you came back, if someone from 100 years ago walked in here, they'd be like, oh, the building looks very different. But it looks the same. It still has the same feel and um, overall kind of area. The back star of David will stay there. Um, these chandeliers will stay here. And these are their original ones when they put in electricity, I think, in 1902. Kidder clearly has a lot of enthusiasm for the history behind the building. He said he's trying to preserve as many of the unique characteristics of the structure as possible, from those chandeliers to the maple floors and the tin ceiling, even a room with a mikvah or ritual bath in the basement. But he's also open about the fundamental fact of the sale being that a historic house of worship will become something different. I was just going to say, to be transparent, like, yeah. when I first heard about the sale, my reaction was a little bit was, oh, that's a bummer, just as someone who lives in Burlington and who you know, is interested in the Jewish community's history that, oh man, I wish this could somehow stay, you know, at least tangentially related to the Jewish community, whether it's like a community center or a museum or yep. anything like that. And, you know, you can do whatever you want with, yeah, <laughs> with, yeah, yeah. with what you, you buy, but what, what, I guess what would you say to people who have a reaction like that, at least initially? I mean, I would say between the Chabad and the OZ and some of the other synagogues in the area is there's like a certain level of sadness that it's not being retained as a synagogue. Um, but they also have their own buildings right now. And so when you have a diminishing population, it's like a sense of sadness, but then a sense of, okay, at least it's going to be revitalized and rebuilt and reused again. So I think there's that juxtaposition where, you know, it would have been great if it could have been preserved as a museum or as a synagogue, but a lot of times you just have to look at the next step and say, well, what's uh, another use for the building? A little more history. The synagogue we're talking about was originally the home of the Ohavi Tzedek congregation, which moved in 1952 to a much larger modern building, less than a 10-minute walk up the street. That's the OZ that Kidder mentioned. Now, Ohavi Tzedek is part of an effort to preserve some of the important artifacts and objects being removed from the older building, including the pulpit, plaques, and some pews. Perhaps most notably, Ray O'Connor, an expert preservationist, has painstakingly removed the 13-foot-high copper ark from the Ahavath Garim Synagogue's back wall. The ark once held that congregation's Torah scrolls. When I visited OZ in early September, the ark was in multiple pieces, carefully packed into wooden crates along with other artifacts. These crates filled the newer synagogue's small sanctuary. 
OZ plans to install the Ark and other objects in that room, which will become a worship space that, the hope is, replicates some of the feel and history of the older brick synagogue. Jeffrey Potash, a historian and the president of Ohavi Tzedek, showed me a few of the pieces of the Ark in the crates. The full Ark includes some very impressive ornamentation, including an illuminated crown, the Ten Commandments, hands giving a priestly blessing, and twin golden lions. What's interesting with an impediment is, I mean, there's an abundance of light that highlights and just graces this, you know, the beauty, the natural beauty of the copper. I mean, it's just an exquisite uh, material with which to work. But what he's incorporated into the, uh, into the pediment is the uh, pair of hands. Uh, those are the priestly hands making the priestly prayer. So the priestly blessings are contained within the pediment, but at the same while, you've got the same imagery, which is core to, you know, all Jewish icons, notably in the, in the tent of the tabernacle. The Ten Commandments are basically situated at the top, being held by the lions of Judah, the strength of Judaism, and then a crown above the Ten Commandments signify that these are the divine authority, that this is, this is what we adhere to. This particular piece has a light, interestingly enough, built in underneath that, that sort of bathes the Ten Commandments in a particular light, star dated, and then on top of that is a little dove. Now, let's take a look at it. And isn't that exquisite? And again, it's just, it's very simple. It's extraordinarily elegant and what's remarkable, you know, we're absolutely astounded with just the extraordinary um, skill set that's incorporated here because normally you would see seams and you might see solder. Um, and in none of this, do you see any of that whatsoever? Jeff also talked me through how it came together that OZ would end up with what he called the treasures from the synagogue on Archibald Street. I contacted their board. Uh, before Kidder had actually bought the property. And the building has been for sale for multiple year, years, and there had been an effort on the part of many people within the Jewish community to try and purchase the building and to preserve it in some fashion as a synagogue. Um, in practicality, I mean, the expense, uh, you know, doing so just far exceeded what we could really handle at that point in time. So I reached out to their board and I, and I asked them um, if, they would be open uh, to giving us, you know, effectively our treasures back. I mean, they really did belong to this congregation. And I was delighted and appreciative that they said yes. Kidder then needed to be in the picture. And so reached out to Kidder and just asked if we could, uh, if he would give us a month um, and if he would give our craftsman, Ray O'Connor, the time with which to very carefully and expertly extract the treasures, in particular the Ark, but also a number of other items that we thought were, you know, were core to, to who we are and our identity. And he was extraordinarily gracious and delightful. So it all worked out extraordinarily well for us. Um, you know, the goal, the intent, the immediate term is to reconstruct the arc at the far windows here. Uh, it will barely fit uh, without the bottom pieces. It, it originally sat on three steps it, uh, and we're gonna situate it so that it is fully functional. And at the same while, we're going to um, basically rethink the structure of this space. 
um, so that uh, in effect we can recreate that particular wall on which the ark was situated, surrounded with, we have the pews, we have the, uh, the, uh, the Torah table, we have the bima, um, we have all of the core elements of the interior of that sanctuary so that we can replicate the feel and hopefully the experience of, uh, of, of seeing this particular piece. And that would all be in this space here. That's, that, is the, uh, that is the current mindset. Um, but the intent ultimately is, as I say, to do justice to the ark and the feel, you know, that original sanctuary. Is there a part of you that is still, you know, disappointed that the building didn't end up being a synagogue or a museum or a community center or something adjacent to the Jewish community? We talked extensively about that. You know, we talked about the possibility that if we could purchase and upgrade and repair and do everything that needs to be done in the building, could it, could it functionally be a museum? Could it be a combination of a museum and a facility where uh, it had extraordinary acoustics, just extraordinary acoustics? And could, could it have been a musical site? Could it have been used for any number of other purposes? You know, yes. I mean, yes, there's, 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 a, there's a sense that... Um, you know, it, it would have been nice, but at the same while, you know, I mean, the story of Burlington's Jewish community is that it constantly moves forth. So sadness tempered with a real sense of reality and a pragmatic understanding that life goes on. The Jewish community in Burlington survives, it flourishes, it continues to um, to serve ultimately, of, um, you know, the, the, the original values and intentions of its founders. And um, so, yes, the building may not be there, you know, as a synagogue, but, um, but we're, still, we're still here. While the Ahavath Garim congregation hadn't really used their synagogue as an active house of worship for some time, it was used by another congregation. The Jewish Renewal Congregation, Ruach Hamakom, held services there for a few years until 2020. Now they meet at the Unitarian Universalist Church in Burlington. The rabbi of that congregation is Jan Salzman. When you walked into that building, you felt a certain connection. Uh, even if you knew nothing about your Judaism or anybody, you felt that, that, you, that the feeling you get when you walk into some, in some ways, you know, it's kind of stuck in time. And people who would come and visit us would inevitably, oh, this is just like my grandfather's synagogue, you know, and it, oh, yes, yes. I, because the other thing about it, if I may say, is that it wasn't created when Judaism had become a frontal experience. Most synagogues built in the last century were based on what a church looked like, right? With pews facing forward, everything happened in the front. But Ahavit, I mean, Ahavit Garam was based in the old world way, where the Torah was in the middle of the room, rabbis didn't give sermons, people came together, um, and it had that womb, for me, a really womb-like womb feeling. Jan was part of an effort to buy the synagogue that ultimately didn't work out. So we uh, formed a separate group, the Little Red Brick Synagogue Group, um, that was not my congregation, but a separate group of interested individuals who tried to uh, buy the building in a variety of ways, and uh, that was uh, not seemingly not possible at every at every turn of events. And so, part of our idea 
was to turn it into a community space along with maintaining it as a synagogue. Uh, and when that didn't happen, I experienced the whole range of feelings, of course, rage and sadness and loss and mourning and crying and, and lifting my fist to the sky. But just like any other kind of loss, I mean, I'm a rabbi, I teach people about loss, right? Uh, eventually it's like, well, this is just not going to happen. And uh, they, uh, ultimately an acceptance that um, the, the, the Jewish community had lost a historic building. Um, the person who has bought it, Kidder Slater, is a great guy. Uh, we are blessed, believe me, uh, to have someone like him with his vision purchase the building. Jan had some thoughts on why the discussion of how we use these kind of spaces is important in the first place. Well, I think what's interesting about all of us synagogues is that we are um, in opposition to what happened during the Enlightenment, right, where the individual becomes primary. And as time has gone on, the um, the role of the individual to help create community and have a holy obligation, you know, not a drudgery obligation, but a holy obligation to support community-based uh, experiences, especially ritual services, the marking of our calendar, time. Um, that is something that we all struggle with, synagogues and churches across the country. And so, one of the, um, the one of the tools that we have in our toolbox is to create these beautiful spaces and also expand the function, the roles of those beautiful spaces to bring community back together. With that in mind, here's Jeff Potash again, the historian at Nohave Tzedek president, on his hopes for the future of the project to preserve at least some of what made the Ahavath Garam synagogue so central to the city's Jewish community. In any challenge, you can find, uh, you know, a certain degree of uh, opportunity. And uh, it just seems to me as though, you know, as I say, when we're done with this, and we'll, we'll, we'll see whether we succeed or not, but I think we will, you know, when this project is completed, you know, we'll have preserved for posterity and future generations a sense that when they walk in and they see something, they can experience it, they can feel it they recognize that it has meaning, not just to the population of folks who, who created it, but ultimately to really to posterity. And that I hope is, and that, that's, that's the hope and dream for this. And uh, you know, if we succeed, then we will have done what, what needed to be done. This episode of The Deeper Dig was produced by me with help from VT Digger's senior editor, Natalie Williams. You can find Glenn Russell's photos from our visit to the synagogue, plus many more episodes of the podcast at vtdigger.org. I'm Sam Gilrosen. Thanks for listening to The Deeper Dig. 